0: My name is Barbara Erke. I'm the Vice President of Academic Affairs for the School of Nursing at Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana, which is a long title. But I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for lots and lots and lots of years. Um, And my background is having – is global health care and working with global health care. So – I am excited to be here. This is, I did a two-hour session earlier today. Was anybody in that one? Because this is really a repeat, although it's not two hours, so, okay. And I have a series of slides. I'll read the comments uh, of the slides. Um, It's from a friend of mine who works in um, West Africa. He's a a single guy, missionary for 10-plus years, and so... I wanted to get his perspective as well for the topic. And so I've um, sent him all my questions and he's answered them. And so when we get to some of the questions, then I'll read his answers of how he would answer the, the question. So, OK, so before we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for today and for your love for us as we discuss singleness and Missions and global. I would pray that you would be present here, give us wisdom, help us to um, bring you honor and glory in all that I say and do and all that we talk about today. For we pray this in Christ's name, amen. So, my background I went overseas when I was 26 years old and which now when I think back about it, I think, oh, that was pretty young. Um, Stayed overseas about 11 years, a little longer, and then was evacuated out. I was in Zaire, or Democratic Republic of Congo, so I worked there um, until 1991, and then was evacuated home, um, and when I came home, then I went to Indiana Wesleyan to get a master's in community health nursing. And God kind of changed my trajectory at that moment. And so I've been home since. And one of my great joys is to be able to educate and facilitate um, the next generation to do global health care, to do, think about global missions. At Indiana Wesleyan, sophomore year, our team, we have a semester abroad in Haiti. Although, as you know, Haiti is not possible to go this year. Actually, we were, they were evacuated out in 2019. So 2020, we're going to Zambia, and they'll take um, pediatrics and maternal care, transcultural nursing. So they'll spend 12 weeks in Zambia. Junior year, they go to the Dominican Republic, and they do some, um, they'll do gerontology. They'll do um, medical surgical nursing there for 12 weeks. The senior year, a group goes back, goes to Zambia for community health nursing and nursing leadership and development. So students have an opportunity to study one of the countries. A couple times people have gone to the sophomore year and the senior year. They've done both of them. So global is really kind of infused in a lot of, a lot of the things that we do. So how did I happen to become, be a missionary and be single? Um, there wasn't a moment in my life that God said you're going to be single. Um, there wasn't a moment in my life that was talking that, you know, okay, this is what's going to be the rest of your life. I say it just kind of evolved. Um, once I became a Christian when I was 17 and God called me, almost the next year started speaking to me about missions. I spent um, one summer in Haiti um, before I um, went, went um right when I finished my nursing program, and so I went there, and then I went to Bible college. And I knew that he was calling me into missions, and so my focus was missions. And from there, I I say that it wasn't a plan, but it was God's plan. And I believe that as we follow God's plan, he provides the sufficiency of the things that we need. So, that's my brief background. What I'm going to do is put you into little groups, and you're going to ask, you're going to come up with one or two questions that you want me to answer, because I could talk for an hour on the topic of singleness and how God provides and all, but I want to be able to answer your questions. So, get together in a group, and what what are the two questions that you would want me to answer? um, And then we'll talk about them as I intersperse. Um, the topic that I have prepared for you, okay? So you have about three minutes, so if you're not sitting by somebody, it means you might have to think of your own question, but it's better to get in groups. Okay, so I know that's not a whole lot of time, but you probably have come up with one or two questions, and so if you kind of give me the topic of it, I'll write it down, and then there's going to be some repeats, so I'll kind of put them together, so, yes? Oh, was marriage ever a desire? Yep. Okay, marriage ever a desire? Yep. Um, we kind of talked about how to, like, overcome, like, the social norm or social pressure mm-hmm. to get married with kids. Social pressures, okay. Yep. Um, did you ever, if marriage was a desire, did you ever go through a mourning period? For that, like, or how did you deal with the fact that God hadn't provided somebody? Okay. Yes. Um, anything on like the subject of kids, like adoption? Or... Okay. Uh, just really practical. When there's just you, how do you do your job and also get to groceries? Like any tips of like practical living when it's just you? Okay. Um, yes? Yeah. Um, just if there were any barriers at all to, like, where you could do, or what you could do with missions being a single versus a single relationship. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, a single woman. Yeah. Okay. Especially in a like, cross-cultural context where, like, marriage is the expectation, mm-hmm. and then the assumption is there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. I saw a hand back here. Oh, she has the same question. Okay. Yep. Is it biblical to use a dating app? Yep. Like the experience of possibly being the only single person on a like a team that you go with? You go with a bunch of couples? Okay. Going back to the desire. Things that they're looking for single women or couples, and they didn't say anything about men. Mm-hmm. And then I went on a couple of mission trips where there was a really nice looking single guy, and the local women was just, mm-hmm. and I saw okay. the kind of confusion they actually had to leave. Ask them to leave. Yeah. Okay, so thank you. Um, so we have this whole long list, and I, I will talk about it as. We bring up some, and you can't see my slides, and they're basically words. Our objectives today are to examine the challenges of being a single missionary and discuss the joys of being a single missionary. So challenges and joys, kind of the two big buckets that we're looking at. Um, We're looking at challenges, struggles, the benefits of being single, what national friends say, what American friends say, what your family thinks, um, and then final thoughts. So um, what I have here is there is a... um, one of our graduates works in West Africa, and he's single. And so I've, like I said, I've gotten all his answers for this. So um, one of the questions that, you never said the word loneliness, but there's always an underlying fear of loneliness when one is single. Um, and so you can almost, you know, put that in several of the, several of the different questions that were asked. So being the loneliness factor. Um, but isn't loneliness part of today's life as well here if you're single? So loneliness doesn't stop just because you moved overseas or it doesn't necessarily start when you move overseas. Um, I guess the word I want to use is community. Um, not one of you, I hope and pray, decide to up and go somewhere all by yourself without a team or without a group of people. Um, We are designed to live in community, and being a lone ranger is not the way to go, usually in missions. Um, And now somebody's out there thinking, well, that's the only place I'm going is, and I'll be the only one. But there are, you may be the only Euro-American or the only one like you, but there are, Maybe some other Christians there, the national Christians, that become the community then. So it would be rare that a mission-sending organization would just say, you, you go over there and there ain't no one over there. You just enjoy yourself by yourself. No. That is not the typical because they're very concerned about community and they're very concerned about member care. And so they are just, they're concerned for you as well. Um, So loneliness is a reality. This is what um, my friend in Africa says, and um, JT is what I call him. While loneliness isn't usually one of my main complaints, I'd be lying. Can you hear this, or should I put my mic in a different location? I would be lying if I said that it isn't at times difficult. As a single man, I think there's even more pressure coming from other Christians, be those nationals or Americans. It is as if there is this real belief that a single man can't live in holiness. So the underlying theme is, okay, loneliness, but they really can't live in holiness. You know, so it's just not. But God is sufficient, and I I have to say that. Um, I... um, did several semesters where I talked in the marriage and the family class at Indiana and I was the single, single that came in and talked about singleness. And after about the third time of being asked, I had to come up with a kind of a title. So it was single, celibate, and satisfied. Um, you know, alliteration goes on and all that. But, um, and it really was, and so that kind of was the big rocks of, Talking in a marriage in the family class was about being single, celibate, and satisfied. So celibacy is not expected today. Um, even, in our, in our, even in our evangelical churches, people tend to believe that it's impossible to be celibate and live a holy life. But with God, it's possible. It's an expectation from his word. So he doesn't call us to do something that's not possible. So... There is going to be loneliness, but there's loneliness here. and But having a community, um, not just going off by yourself, but having a community and building the community. Now, there was the question about the only single person um, on the team um, can be good or bad. Um, if there 's only one other couple and you 're the only single, then it may be a little harder. i lived um, there were several singles where I lived, um, but the couples really included us on a regular basis. Um, they, we were part of their family. I was their kid 's aunt and uh, their, their aunt, and so we were part of the family with, for celebrations and all so um, but I also had to have other people, so the singles did some things together. But there was also nationals that you would hang around with or be with. So you may be the only member of the team that's single, but there's certainly other single people around if, that, you know, if, um, if that's really a desire, if that's a need. Um, there was one single lady that came out as, for a short period of time, and she wanted nothing to do with the singles. It was like we might wear off on her and she might stay single. It's like, I'd She only wanted to be with the couples. She did not want to be with any of the single women at all. And so there was, that caused some tension just because we wanted to include and. It was more like this. And so just because there are singles doesn't automatically going to mean that there's going to be better community because there are singles. It depends on what the person is coming with and what the person is thinking about. Um, so, yeah, loneliness can be uh, a challenge. Um, the question was asked about did I – marriage, you know, and desire – Sometimes I say I have fallen into singleness. I never woke up one day, as I said, and said I'm going to be single. I was following God's will, going the path of being a missionary. And there was a guy I was interested in, and he was going to be a Wycliffe missionary. And, so, and he was from my home church, and so it seemed kind of like a good thing, until one day he decided he was going to be an insurance agent in the United States. And I still felt that God wanted me to go missions, um, and so we stayed good friends. In um, fact, my pastor always felt that we should have been married, but he was—he was—he was staying home, and I was—I was—I knew God wanted me to go overseas. And the worst part about. Um, not following God's will is that it always rests on you. I can remember somebody in Bible college with me, and um, I was doing a missionary tour like 15 years later and came to her church and her husband, and she said to me, you know, God wanted me to be a missionary. And she still has that burden. Now, she's happily married. She's doing God's will. But in the back of her mind, you could just hear the kind of the... I, yeah, that's what he wanted. Now, I'm, he's, you know, I'm not suggesting she divorce her husband and go overseas. Okay? But it is interesting to see that if that's really where God has you, that it will stick with you even if you decide on another path, that it's not a sinful life. Being married is not something sinful, but if God really has that placed on your heart and you you know... And the community has affirmed. Then, what does one do? You know, ten years later, twenty years later, you're talking to someone and saying, "Well, God called me. God wanted me to, and I didn't go." And there was regret in her voice. And that just kind of sits in the back of my mind when I when I do talks on singleness or talk about this, is because I'd rather be single than having this little bit in the back of my head. Going, you know, what it, should have I, what, what, what I didn't? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't a message on a piece of paper floating down from heaven. Uh, that would be easy. Um, I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. I met my first missionary when I was 18. At a Bible camp that I, w- I went up to after I became a Christian, and as I heard him speak, I sensed, heard, this is what you're going to be doing. He was from Haiti, um, so I went on to I went to nursing school, um, and right after nursing program that I went to, I went to Haiti for seven weeks. How many of you are nursing students? Yeah. Well, it took. Back in the old days, you you hand-wrote your your NCLEX, you know, and it took seven weeks to get a response back. And so I went to Haiti. I was actually there seven weeks. When I got home, the response was there that I had passed. So um, now you guys don't even understand that. You you get it the same day or the next day, and it's like even those 24 hours makes you wait. But, yeah, that was just the life we lived back in the olden days without (laughs) all the technology we have now. But... um, so, and I just knew, and so then I just, okay, Bible college, worked in a church, um, worked in a hospital, and prepared myself. And I went with the Christian Missionary Alliance, and they have a very specific program to follow. Um, you, have to do, you have to be able to work here in the States as a nurse. You have to be able to work in a church so that you're not just brand new going over and expecting that you're going to make a great impact um, without the necessary tools. also had to study the language and tropical medicine. So it took a while through it. I always tell people, it ta- if, you're, if you're, God's calling you to be a missionary, you better be stubborn because there are so many off-ramps that are available. And it's so much easier to say, okay, whew, I can't learn a language. It's too hard. It's a very American thing, by the way. Um, people around the world learn multiple languages. It seems to be a problem here in the United States that we can't learn a language. Uh, don't, um, and, but it is doable. And I testify. This is my testimony. Growing up, I had, a speech, I had speech therapy from the time I was age four. Which was really, when I think back about it, and how, where my parents were in their own life and everything, and the fact that they got me speech therapy when I was four, was really something. And my speech therapist thought I'd never speak English very well. Um, so it's a God thing that I could learn a language, and that I can that I can speak English, and that I can learn a language. So when God calls, then He also equips. And so if He's called you, you will be able to learn a language. I have a friend who's working in Cambodia, um, married to a Cambodian, so he doesn't have to learn the language, but she does. And so her writing, if you've ever seen it, it's a bunch of circles and squiggles. And, I mean, totally different than what our letters are. And she's faithfully learning the language. Now, that's a hard language. It would be like learning Chinese. I mean, when the letters don't even look like what you're familiar with, that you have no concept... And God is enabling her to learn it. So the, one of the questions was how to come overcome the social pressures. Um, I'm going to go to his... He says about his American friends, um, for the most part, my American friends are very supportive of me being missionary. Of course, when I go do tour in churches, I get lots of comments from people, lots of people wanting to set me up with some young woman they know. That gets annoying. And this, I'm quoting him. He says, that gets annoying. So the social pressure is for marriage. That's true. That's true. Being single overseas is actually, it was easier for me than being single here. Being single overseas, um, you could co-share a house and no one had any thought that there might be something, that you might be homosexual or gay or something. There wasn't that. You just co-shared a house. You just did these things. And um, it was just part. Now, the nationals, it was kind of, that's the American culture because they had a number of single women coming, and, you know, that's not for our culture, but that's kind of an American. In fact, um, he mentions this in here. It's the culture, missionaries, that they they come over single. So I I had no hassles really about being single, coming back to the States. You know, people have higher expectations of are you going to get married or are you back to get married? Are you, you know, so there's that. Um, And what does Paul say about marriage? Who can, hmm? It can distract you. If you can get married, it's perfectly fine. But it's also perfectly fine to stay single. And here's the sad news, women. There are more women in the world than there are men. So unless you're going to go polygamy, you know. So I mean, that's just the truth. Even in the United States, there's more women than men. And so, um, and God sustains and provides as needs are there, He provides. He's the all-knowing, all-powerful God, and we need to be able to trust Him with who we are and what He's calling us to do. So, overcoming the social pressures, you you may just have to be able to say, um, "Talk to God about that, not me," because it's not that you're saying, "No, I won't get married." God has not provided. So are dating apps biblical? No clue. <laughs> um, I have no idea. I think technology in and of itself is not evil. It's not sin to use a computer. is it? Sin? I mean, I don't know. I, I would say I don't have any idea. How's that for a real firm answer on that one? I have no idea about a biblical app. I mean, a dating app being biblical to use. Um. A couple years ago, someone actually talked about a website for uh, uh, people that want to be missionaries. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) So God does provide in miraculous ways. I, I will end with, when I'm done, with some ways God has provided for people in Africa. Um, and it's only by God's grace, mercy, and his will. It's not by any way of the finagling of a person desperately wanting to get married, that it's really within God's timing. I really truly believe that. It's really within God's timing. Um, The question about mourning period, um, God not providing. um, I don't I should say I don't recall, but I don't think I went through a mourning period because it kind of evolved. I mean, I figured at some point I'd probably get married. Um, People did in my family, and so I would too. But um, I think it just evolved, and I knew I was within God's will and doing what God wanted me to do. And um, so I didn't grieve deeply about it or or spend lots of time thinking about it. I'm certain some have, have spent mourning, mourning their desire, their dream, because it's really an, you know it's, really, it's part of the dream of being who we are. Um, it, you're expected to get married kind of in the United States, I mean, it's, an expect, it's the typical thing that one does, and one doesn't really talk about being single as an option. And we don't. The church doesn't talk about being single as an option. It's just not one of those topics, but yet it is an option. It definitely is an option. Um, and then about kids and adoption, I had a, I had a sister who was not married, and um, she adopted two boys. And we went, we had robust discussions, robust discussions about married, having, um, adopting, and not married. And was that the best? What's what's the perfect, you know, what's God's plan for the family? And, and should one do it and should one not? And um, she really believed God was telling her, calling her. Um, and she adopted two infants. And they're the joy of our lives. And. You know, so, but one has to wrestle with adoption just like one wrestles with marriage, you know. Is this what God wants me to do? It changes one's life when you have children and you have to be concerned then about children. Um, And it changes one's ministry. Um, The last session we did, we talked about how it changes the ministry if you are having to provide for and care for, you know, somebody else. It also changes, one of the big questions in the first session was about safety. And I don't know if that, that's a question here or not about safety as a, as a single person. Um, there were three of us that were doing that session as a panel, um, and one of them works in North Africa. Um, safety is always a concern, but it's always a concern whether you're married or single, um, Safety is a concern if, these days if you're a man, walking, doing stuff in most major cities. It, it is a concern. Um, but you also then, as a, if you're a single person, you also have to then plan. Um, what am I going to do? Do I... Uh, I you would... Back in the day, we didn't text or anything. We had CB radios, but you – I know. And we would um, let um, people know if, if we were coming over to their house. It was after dark or whatever. So, so – and then when we got home, we would say you – know, I, I co-shared a house often. Sometimes I didn't. Um, we'd come – when I got home, back to the house, then, you know, you would um, – I'd do texting. But it was actually CB radio to do that. So it was um, – and you planned. You didn't decide to go off and spend a day somewhere by yourself without letting people know. Um, and you're, you live in community. And even with the, you know, the nat- with nationals, you're, you're in community. Hopefully, uh, if you're as a missionary, and then you, you let them them know if you're traveling or you're going to be out of town or you're doing something. So you look forward to you, you look for ways to be safe. You also follow all the regs and rules that the U.S. government tells you to do. If you're traveling, you should be registered with the U.S. Embassy. You should have this. You need evacuation insurance. You need all of those things. Does that make sense, evacuation insurance? Yeah. Our our students who were in Haiti for the semester abroad, um, we had to evacuate them. So insurance helped pay the helicopters that took them from the island over to um, the mainland to get on the plane. I mean, they – so you have to make plans of what to do. um, And you need to listen um, to the people who are living there. Again, it would be rare that you would just head off and start your own little mission compound or your own little mission house somewhere all by yourself. Now, potentially, there's somebody who might do that. But for the most part, you're not going to do that. So you listen to the people who have been there. They know the spots not to go. They know when to go. They know what the national holidays are going to be, where the roads are actually going to be blocked. and, And you're out driving and You didn't even realize that. Um, And you might be living in a real safe country. Um, The DRC, it was safe. Um, On a Sunday afternoon in September, um, we took somebody to the airport to fly to another African country. And the next morning, Monday morning, we got um, CB message message from um, U.S. Embassy to stay shelter in place because it was that fast. It was very unexpected. We had no clue. Um, Tuesday, they sent a convoy to pick us up out of the house, and Wednesday and Thursday, I was home on Saturday. And there was no real expectation that this was going to happen. It was unhappiness from lack of uh, military hadn't been paid, people hadn't been paid, and so they just became upset. But senior missionaries... They know kind of the system. I I worked at a hospital, and then for one summer I went to to another town to run the guest house. Um, The person running the guest house was home, and so I was running the guest house. And so they were showing me the ropes, and they said, and here is the uh, airplane fuel. So if you're going to be evacuated, you have fuel because the plane won't come and land in Boma unless they know they can refuel and go out. I'd been on the field already about five years, six years. I never knew we had a stock of airplane fuel. Senior missionaries all did. The person running the guest house did. But I didn't need to know where I was. But there, there are plans. Everybody has plans. You maybe don't know about them. Um, I didn't know about that, but on the need to know. And so your team would have a plan. Uh, I don't know. Are you following things that are going on in South America? I think it's Bolivia. Just had elections, right? And all of a sudden, they're in turmoil. Three days ago, one would not have thought that Bolivia would have been in turmoil. So it can happen quite quickly. So you have to have you have to have your plans. You have to always know where your passport is, and like a, almost a to go bag. I was never frightened. I never ever imagined being evacuated. Uh, that hadn't even entered my head. Um, but, you know, you have to have, you have to know that there's a, there are people who are the responsible, the mission leaders. They would know what to do, and they did. And within four days, women and children got sent home first. Families got sent home first and then singles. Um, but it was um, really, um, would have never expected it. But say, So safety is key. Well, that's, a, that's a big topic. So mission leaders will know. Um, and as a single person, you would have to ask, okay, like, what are the plans if we have to do this or whatever? And it can happen so quickly, and that, I think that's the surprising part. Um, in, the past, in the past, we didn't really think about it, but now we all, ever, especially since 9-11, there's always plans being made. So as a single person, you would need to have your a plan, a safety plan kind of what to do. If you're in the center of God's will, bad things can still happen. Um, doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen, that your house isn't going to be robbed, that you're not going to get in a car accident, that you're not, and you're not, and you can go on and list all the bad things that could happen. But pretty much all those same bad things could happen here in the United States. Um, So, I mean, so we just have to plan for safety and do all. I I always said I wore a seatbelt every day I was there, and that was to, if I was in a bad accident, that I wouldn't be severely injured because HIV AIDS was just starting in the 80s, and it was pretty rampant, um, we discovered. And so I always, I mean, the seatbelt, that was, you know, part of my plan of safety was to, and I always said if I'm bleeding to death, I do not want a blood transfusion. I told people that I don't want a blood transfusion if I'm bleeding, I'd rather go meet with Jesus. And so, you know, I mean, you have to think along those lines. I, that, was, that was probably scarier for me, HIV AIDS, than many other things. In fact, I could, when I came home and I was working, um, I had an HIV AIDS test um, ordered for me so I could see. Because I, I was in the hospital and I was in charge of um, deciding which ones we're going, we're going to test. And then... Um, sending the blood up eight hours to be tested. Okay? And it was back in the days when we would take a needle and we would check to see if there was a burr on the end, if it was, it was dull kind of. You'd do this, and then you would sharpen it so it would be sharp for the next person. Yeah, I mean, that's like horrifying. But that was what we did. You had glass syringes, metal needles, and they were not disposable, and so you were checking to make certain. And so I can remember getting the results... And um, I paused to open them because I thought, you know, what if I am HIV positive? I mean, I, I was working with those cases on a regular basis, and I wasn't. And, I mean, I really testify that it was really a, a God thing um, because it was in the 80s when people really didn't even know all the transmission routes and all of those things. So um, let's see. What are the benefits of being single? Um, My friend in Africa says, what the Apostle Paul says is very true. In singleness, we are completely free to devote our whole selves to ministry. I find on my team that our singles have stronger relationships with nationals because they are more free to invest the time and energy necessary to form and develop those relationships. Also, if the single missionary has the right support network, I see them being more adaptable and flexible when situations change on the field. For example, the security situation in our country changed rapidly over a period of a year. Many of our families left since they felt obliged to protect their kids. But for all of our singles, so there were seven adults, stayed on the field as they felt that they had more free time to risk. They, they were more free to risk their own lives. So, I mean, that's one of the benefits. And Paul does talk about that in Second Corinthians. I think it's chapter 7. That more time to devote to the work of the Lord without risking the lives of other people. So, um, I think it's true. Uh, There is the sense as well that um, we can have a a greater variety of work. I mean, if one's married and has kids, I mean, kids go to school, kids need help and all, as opposed to, I did a lot of traveling um, um, out into the a plateau and um, did health clinics and wells and community health evangelism and stuff. So that was one of my roles right before we came home. So you, you can't really, I can't, couldn't really picture um, mom and dad and four kids packing up to go out and live in the bush for four, for five days hauling what things you need. You, we, we hauled our own bed and food and all different things. So it's just different, not better, not worse. But it's just different. But there, that is one benefit that um, there is for, for being single. Um, uh, there was a question here, and I didn't write enough. I'm sorry. Barriers what I could do. Were there barriers for what I could do as a single person? Um, I don't really felt that there was a barrier. Sometimes, when I came home, there were more barriers maybe to share in a church because remember, this was back in the 80s um, where women maybe didn't have as much of a role in churches, in some evangelical churches. But I, there was really, I was, I was, um, the other nurse and I, when we would travel, we would travel and we'd drive. And so we arranged that whoever drove that day didn't have to preach that night. It's a real biblical way to make that decision, right? But, you know, driving was always difficult because the roads are terrible and you don't want to hit anybody. And so you're exhausted. So we finally got to... To when we get to the village, it was like, yeah, that one there is preaching because she didn't drive. So that was how we biblical decided who was driving and who, I mean, who was going to um, preach that night. So we were able to preach. We did clinics, and so I never felt that I was a second class. Oh, if they only had a man, if only had a man with me, that would have been better. I never was made to feel that way uh, on the on the mission field. Um, I, I just wasn't. Yes? Uh, do you notice the difference between people who are single who have never been married compared to people who are single and were divorced or widowed? Um, I've never, I've I'm not, I mean, the group that I lived with and the people that I've encountered, I've not I've not heard anything different. So I don't know. I can't really answer that question. Um Yeah, I don't know. Sorry. Um, So I didn't feel like there were any barriers particularly that um, I had to overcome, uh, except language barrier, of course, um, and learning the language. Hard work. And this is my little, um, as you're here and you're looking for a mission organization to go with, as you're kind of talking to all these booths and becoming overwhelmed because there are so many great organizations. One of the key questions to ask is, what is your policy for learning the language? And I would highly recommend the policy be you have six months to a year of full-time language study. I lived in France to learn French. And then I studied tropical medicine in French. And then when I went to um, DRC, I had to learn Kikongo. And six, six hours a day with language workers, I had tests I had to do. The um, missionary would come and give me oral tests and written tests um, until I was semi-fluent in Kikongo. So learning the language is critical to build relationships. And we've talked a lot about relationships. And as a single person, you need relationships. And you need them with the national, whoever the national might be. And so learning the language is really the only way to learn the heart of another person. Translator or having them speak in English or you using, like French is more of a trade language. French is the education language at the time. But Kikongo was the heart language. So if you wanted to have any heart conversations, you had to learn it. And learning a language is hard. But doable. So... If you, as you're looking at mission organizations, and do you have that time set aside, or are you expected to work in—I'm talking to healthcare people—are you expected to work half days and study half days, and use a translator? Unless you really are forced to, it's much easier to use a translator, but it's—it's it's not the best. It really is important to learn the language to be able to have heart conversations. Um, I asked um, my friend, what do your African friends think of you being single? In general, Africans view singleness very negatively after a certain age, although they seem to have the capacity to make exceptions for Americans, realizing that our customs are different. So I occasionally get comments from new acquaintances. However, my real friends know my convictions, and I feel very supported about, by them. So when he, you know, as he meets new people, you know... You're still single, why, you know. Then he just, set, you know, kind of shares his convictions about it. So they they have the capacity to make exceptions for Americans. You guys are different anyway, so this is just part of being different, you know, and you're not being and not being married. So the um, question about practical just you for community—have I addressed that well enough, or is there still any questions there? Um, keeping building good relationships with the couples on the field is critical. And being the aunt to their children is critical. I mean, I will drive hours to an MK's wedding. In fact, the most recent one, I actually went to Indonesia, but I was speaking there, but I, one of our MKs was now working there, and so he came several, like three hours on a train with his wife, and so we could spend time together, because the relationship is so critical. It just is. Um, The friendships are deep, Um, and I was at his birth, and so, I mean, I've known him all of his life, and... um, very close relationship. So meeting, working, you know. Think of the mom with four kids or three kids in the house. And you can go out to, if you live in some country, Starbucks. and you could go out and get this. Or you could do this. And she can't. Because she would have to bundle up. Bundle up. Well, that, that makes it sound cold. She'd have to get dressed and put three kids in a car to drive out to get something. So it might be your role to call up and say, hey, I'm going to run out and get a whatever. Would you like one? Can I bring one over to you? To you go out and you build the relationship. One of the most fun nights we had, there were four, four nurses. We all happened to be in the city at the same time. So um, a couple wanted to go out and they had three kids. So three of us got to put each uh, child to bed. The fourth one. It was too bad, but there was only three kids. But you know, to put them to bed, to pray with them, to talk to them—I mean, it's still one of the highlights that I remember of being with them. Just this summer, um, an MK that um, we—she was seven when I last saw her um, in '91, I guess it was—and she now lives up in northern, up in Canada, about. Four hours from Duluth, Minnesota, that's where I was visiting my brother. And I said, I am going to go visit her for lunch. So I went across the border, came back, and the lady getting me back into the United States said, what were you doing? I said, I went up and had lunch with a friend. A couple hours. You only were there two hours? Yes. Like, how do you know her? And I'm thinking, this is just going to be a problem. I know her when she was seven years old and we got evacuated from and, and – so I said, well, she's just a friend of mine. And, um, but she was very curious, and it doesn't sound reasonable to drive four hours for a two-hour lunch and drive back. But it was well worth the time. And I hadn't seen her, but I'm Facebook friends with her, which is pretty much of a joy these days to be Facebook friends with MKs that you know and you don't get to see. So I felt like I knew her. I knew her three kids and all. But that doesn't sound really reasonable to try to explain that to somebody, of like why you would drive four hours for a two-hour lunch. and What did you buy? I didn't buy anything. I didn't go to a store. You didn't go to a store? No, I didn't go to a store. I got more questions coming back in the U.S., and I had my passport with me than I did going up into Canada. Canada Canadians only wanted to know, did I have guns or alcohol and Cigarettes, I think, was all I got. (laughs) No, no, no. So, but I mean, that's the relationship you build, and it's it can be a lot on you, but you build those relationships so that you have those relationships. That's the criticalness of it. And the question about men being single, you don't see many men single on the, on the mission field, it's true. Um, but there are those men who have stayed single and are on the mission field. Um, and I think it's very, we need to be very supportive of them. Um, like the one I was talking about, there are several, he's one of seven there and six of them are single. And he's been with this group for Six years, seven years, maybe ten years, most of them. And he's still not married. It's, a, it's God and God's timing in all of it. So God has to be present in that relationship. And if it was God's will, he would be married. Because God can orchestrate phenomenal marriages. And I'm, I'm watching my time. Um, I can tell you a couple stories about it. Um, first of all, I, I've been asked, have I ever been um, proposed to? Um, once in a library by some random person. And, but the more random was I was sitting on a bench in Africa, and the other nurse and I were talking about this child that needed surgery and everything. And this guy came up to me. He sat down beside me. And will you marry me? No, and we continued on. He got up and left. So yeah, I've been proposed to, but nothing seriously. Okay, it was like really like you just come down and sit next to somebody and say, "Will you marry me?" Hmm, no, and and he, he didn't die, I mean he didn't ask any other questions or anything. He just left. It was so you have to be able to say no. Um, it's not appropriate. Um, so I was with a missionary in France and. She went to northern um, DRC. I went to another part of DRC. And after a few years, I've, um, she was at a mission station. There was a group of people. There was a conference going on. She spent a week at this place. and There were lots of young people there, not, not, many of them not married. Got on a plane to leave. And the plane, like, had a flat tire or had a structural problem and could not leave. So she had to stay a few extra days and fell in love with one of the single men that lived on that. So we don't know if she just resisted that week they spent together, the whole group of them, or because then it had to go, you know, she had to spend extra days. But that's that's how God orchestrates things. So then you have him over here and her over here, and they both have CB radios. Things you don't understand. I understand that. But a guy, a person in the middle would translate their conversation. I mean, it was all in English, but he said, will you tell her this? And so she, the person in the middle would tell her this. And then he would, she would say, will you tell him this? And so it was a very romantic, tender (laughs) moments back and forth. Married with two kids, you know, now. But that was really a God thing. And. She wasn't expecting to get married. She'd gone to the Mission Field single. That was just what was going to happen. So it does happen. Um, The other one was a housemate of mine when we were in the DRC. She gets a letter, and letters were very precious. Um, She got this letter, and she opened it up, and it was a proposal for marriage by this guy that she had never met before or heard of before. And he lived in Ohio, and there were Congolese that lived there, and he'd gone to them, and he was good friends with them. He was Filipino, and he said, you know, my wife has passed, and I really want to get married. Do you know anybody? And they said, oh, we know a missionary. And, I mean, this is the truth of it. He wanted to marry a short missionary because he was Filipino and he was shorter. I mean, like, really, this is all true. I lived it. Anyway, so he wrote her a letter. And... Several weeks later, we made the eight-hour trip to the phone. And she went up to the f- where there was a one phone that you could call to the States. And when she came down, she floated down the steps, and she was in love. And she came home. She's Canadian. They, they got married. And when he met her for the first time, literally laid eyes on, he had the pen he had written a proposal with. He was very much of a romantic Now, that's a God thing. I mean, really? Can you imagine orchestrating that? Or are you trying to figure out, there's a guy over there, how am I going to meet him? And am I going to... God can do it. God can do these things. So we really don't need to do the meddling sometimes or conniving of... We have to believe that God has a plan for us and that God wants us to be content in what we're doing. Now... You can be content and single, or you can be discontent and single. You can be content and married, or you can be discontent and married. So the best contentness is being in the absolute will of God and knowing what God wants you to do. And God will orchestrate these very unreal, and if I hadn't actually lived, I mean like, if I just stood up and said, I heard about this, you go, Yeah, like you got this facts wrong. No, I was there when all of this was taking place. She had her first and only child at age thirty nine. And she'd been probably she went there when she was twenty eight, so she was she spent significant time in the DRC. She'd been home and back a couple different times. So God orchestrated this well beyond any dream. It's You know, just kind of the funniest story you could ever hear. But I can see her just walking down the steps, and she's just like, I said, oh, she's in love. And she was. Yes? Um, Do you believe that singleness is, like, for only a select few? Because, I mean, most people get married. I don't know if it's for a select few. Um, A lot of people get married these days that should never have been married. Uh, How do we know that? Oh, what's the divorce rate these days? So, I mean, we tend to think that marriage will solve it. Um, Not so. When I did the marriage and the family class, I always said that people should live independently and know how to live independently before you got married. Because this guy, mom cooks for him, food service cooks for him in college, gets married, and he doesn't really understand caring for and cooking and buying and all of that. Same thing with a young woman. Mom cooks, there's the food service, gets married, and doesn't know how to run a household or how to, you know, Put in a, use a screwdriver maybe or something. Now, this is like broad strokes, okay? But I have two brothers, and my illustration is, I have two brothers. One went away to be x-ray school, and he lived in an apartment by himself, and he learned to sew, and he learned to cook and do all these other things. And the other brother went, mom, wife. And doesn't have a lot of the skills that he really needs to live independently comfortably. So it really does benefit us when we have an ability or a time to spend knowing how to run a household and how to be independent so that we have the skills we need should something happen and we are then single after being married or something. So, I mean, I really do, and I think it's a good idea. I mean, kids get married, like, the day after school is out, and so they've never really had any living independence and knowing what that really means. I think it's important just for the well being of their marriage and how to be content as a single person and not need somebody always there to help them to be content. The other is communication. Um, well, on the mission field now, you can be totally engaged in home life here in the United States. I mean, totally engaged. I mean, because you can WhatsApp, WeChat, um, Skype, Zoom. I mean, you can tell everything that's going on. At the end of the day, you can tell everybody what's going on back in the States. And you never really engage in the community that you're in because you're still tied back to the community here. And I have seen that difficulty in some, some, some missionaries. That they are, yeah, they're a missionary there, but they don't really engage the community as a missionary, because they're still totally back home. So that unhooking from home is really important to learn to live in community where you're at as a single person, or even as a married couple. And I see this when students, when I travel with students, and, you know, they are, so tied with their technology. When they get home, no one wants to hear any of their stories because they've already texted it to them. They've already texted everything they've ever done or saw. And so it's like, Mom, do you want to hear? Well, you told me it all. You know? And they go on with life and they never really get to experience the joy of sharing anything face-to-face. It's all electronic. So it really helps to be able to infuse yourself into a community, national and American, and Learn the language, be there, and not always back home. The one last quote I want to read. One of the final things I've discovered in my own singleness journey is that God never gives a vocation of no. No. In other words, God isn't calling you simply to say no to things, marriage, relationship, intimacy, etc. God's call and the vocation he gives to us are always a call to something. There is a glorious yes in God's call. So whether you are content being single or not, you need to discover this yes. Live in the yes and relish it. Don't dwell in the no. The no is simply the means by which you can live out God's yes for you in the world. Pretty powerful words for someone who has been living through yes and the no's of life. Let me pray. Father, I pray for each one that you would help them to discover the yes of life. And whatever that means, wherever you call them, however you work in their lives, that whatever it is, that they walk contently in your way and you will give them all that they need to serve you wherever you call them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.